Well, good evening, and welcome to, let's try that again, good evening. That was good. I want to listen to those of you online. Um, welcome tonight for our Wednesday night time together, and um, those of you that are watching online, those of you that have joined us live here, we're going to continue what we began to talk about last week, but it's not, I mentioned to you last time, there are times we just have a Bible study, and Bible studies are good, we give you basic doctrine, basic teaching, right out of the Word of God, but there's sometimes, and this is what this is about, is you need to get deeper in. And, 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 I mean, down letting the Word of God and the Spirit of God take what this Word says and make it real to you down inside. And in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, one of my favorite verses, starting in verse 9, says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men all that God has prepared for those who love him. And that's us here tonight and those watching online. So God's prepared things for us that we haven't seen and, and our minds can't imagine. But it says the Spirit has been given to us to bring from the depths of God's heart what he's prepared for us and reveal them to us. And that's what we're looking for tonight. We're looking for things that you've heard if you've been around, and most of you have been around a long time. We've heard these things before. These are things I've taught for years in one form or another. But over the last couple of years, the reality of this has begun to get much deeper down inside of me, and it's changing my relationship with myself, my relationship with God, and my relationship with other people. And this is the desire I have, and I believe the Lord has for us tonight. So let's pray. That can't be happened for my eloquence or lack of eloquence or my intelligence or lack of intelligence. It has to be the Holy Spirit taking this living word and speaking it into our hearts. When, when I worship and even when, I, when I'm praying, uh, even listening to messages, I can see things. Things begin to happen inside of me, and that's the Holy Spirit doing just what I'm talking about tonight. So that's what we're going we're gonna to believe him for tonight. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for you have provided everything we need. We ask you to open the eyes of our understanding tonight to see a greater revelation, a greater understanding, a greater appreciation of who you've made us to be and what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. That it can begin to transform our relationship with you, our relationship with one another, and our, even our relationship with ourselves. And so, Holy Spirit, we have to trust in you tonight to take what you have shown me in my heart and are making real to me and deposit that, at least the seed of it, in each of our hearts, those that are here and those that are watching with us online. And for this, we thank you in advance, in Jesus' name. So, what we talked about last week, we again talk about last week, is your identity. We hear a lot about identity. I know Pastor Chris several weeks ago was talking about distractions. The number one thing, distractions, he talked about was being distracted from our identity of who we really are in Christ. And so it's easy to talk about that. We believe in that. And, and, but, but what does that really mean to you? How real is it to you that you are in Christ and Christ is in you? So we talked about this, this identity is the core of who you are. It's, it's, the, it's what determines how you relate to the world, how you relate to each other, and how you relate to God and how you relate to yourself. Um, 
It determines what, how much of God's purpose for your life you're going to fulfill. God has visions for our lives that are so far beyond what we can begin to see. And, and this is, again, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered the hearts of men, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Ephesians 3.20 says, For God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think according to the power that's already resident inside of you. So everything that God, all that's needed for you to fulfill all that God has for you is inside of you. The problem is our minds created walls and blocks and limitations. And you can see it in the, in, in the, in the scene where, where Jesus is walking to, on the water to come to the disciples, actually going to go past them by, and there's a storm and they're afraid and when Peter hears that it's Jesus and he says, it's I, be not afraid. Actually, it says, uh, uh, be boldly confident. And he said, it's I. Then Peter says, bid me to come. And he does the unthinkable. He began to think outside of the realms that we're normally used to thinking and that we think is possible. He began to think he could walk on water with Jesus. And guess what? He did. He did. So the realms of things that God has for us individually and as at our church that are so far beyond what we can see. So we've got to learn to allow the Holy Spirit to take those limitations off and lead us and guide us in that way. And, and our identity is a key part of that. We talked last week about at least 143 times in the New Testament. We're told that we are in Christ. Um, and it's not simply, I know we call ourselves, well, I'm a child of God and you're a child of God, but there's a greater intimacy there. The reason I'm a child of God is because I've been joined to Christ, and he's a child of God. I'm not a child of God out there on my own. I'm not a child of God, and you're a child of God out there. I'm a child of God because I've been joined to Christ, and that's what we spent the whole time last week talking about, trying to get through this idea that we are literally one with Christ. In God's eyes, you are one with Christ because you are one with Christ. Not one physically. It's your spirit's been joined together with his spirit. And that's how you were born again. So we don't have an independent, separate existence in the kingdom of God. We're not all brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God separately. We're part of him and he's one. And this is what the last prayer Jesus prayed before he went to the garden to pray that prayer of committal was that the Father they may be one even as you and I are one. Well, Jesus was in a separate body from the Father, but he said they were one. And then he's invited us to be one with him and with the Father in the same way. So that's what we talked about last time. What I want to talk about tonight is the application of this in our lives. And as, as is true with many things in the Bible, you really come to know what they mean but when we start applying them in our lives. And we begin to understand the depth of what they mean. So we're going to at least begin to look at, look at that tonight. So, Jesus didn't teach the principle in terms of a principle he taught it in terms of applying it as a reality to our lives. He told us to do something, which is what made this, this reality more real to us. So the first thing he, talked, he told his disciples, and we touched on this last week, in Matthew chapter 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, to follow me, let him deny himself, then take up his cross, and then follow me. What does it mean to deny yourself? What does it mean to deny yourself? Does it mean to put yourself down? Does it mean that you can't eat cake? Does it mean that you know, maybe you shouldn't? But does it mean it's not in terms of things that you can and cannot do, 
It's in terms of how you see yourself. Because to deny yourself, when Jesus is talking about here, is to deny yourself the right to act as if you're independent from him. Because if I'm really in Christ, I don't have the right to act as if I'm outside of Christ. In fact, when I really understand that I don't want to act as if I'm outside of Christ. And we used an example last week of, of a, uh, an old a men's ministry teacher, Ed Cole, used to talk about, is that a lot of times young men get married, and what they're looking for is the benefits of being married. I've got somebody that, you know, will do my laundry, cook my food. I've got somebody that can, I can sleep with. Uh, but I'm going to go out and hang out with the boys, and I'm going to, he calls it living a married single's life. In other words, I'm, I'm married to her, and, and, you know, but I really still see myself as if I'm, as if I'm single. It's, it's interesting because when Jesus talks about what it requires in order to, to come to him, he talks about this kind of commitment. And I've used the example that a lot of times when a young man and a young woman fall in love and, 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 and they're committing themselves to each other, and, 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 she, and he says, I do, and she says, I do, they don't always mean the same thing. When she commits herself, she commits her life to him. It's a commitment. When he commits, when he says, I love you, he means, I want you. I'm not, but I'm not making a commitment to you. And hopefully as they mature, as I had to, you learn that's not what the commitment is. And so many Christians live in that kind of relationship with Christ. They live in a relationship with him, but they don't see themselves as one with him. When I married Anita 56 years ago, I gave up certain rights. I gave up certain privileges. In fact, I really I committed myself to, to, to die for her. To die. Robert Morris, the great pastor of the Gateway Church in Dallas, says the perfect purpose of marriage isn't to enjoy each other. The purpose of marriage is to learn to die, to die to yourself. And this is what denying yourself means. It's like Peter denied Christ. It's like denying myself, not that I exist, it's denying my independent existence apart from Christ. And this was what happened in the garden. They were one with God. They were created out of him, or Adam was created out of him, and then Eve was created out of Adam. And Satan came to divide that by getting them to see themselves as if they were separate from God with their own rights and their own privileges and their own... And this is the whole world is today all about I, me, my, my rights. My rights are getting... And people protest about their rights. Well, you don't want what your rights are because your rights are to go to hell. People want, I want justice, I want rights. And there's truth about justice. God wants justice. But I don't really want ultimate justice because ultimate justice means I burn in hell for eternity. I want mercy. I want his grace. Anyway, I'm getting, I'm getting sidetracked here. All right, so when Jesus said to deny yourself, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about deny self. And the root of all sin is self. And so we have to, but I can't, I can't be operating in Christ and still be operating as, my, as independent. And I used this example last week that when we went to England a few years ago celebrating our anniversary, um, was a, there was a point at which to go in England, I did, we had to get on the plane. I know this is simple, but it's, this is what the truth of reality is. To get on the plane, we had to leave the airport. To go to England, we had to leave the United States. I couldn't be both places at the same time. So to function in Christ, you have to leave yourself as an independent person. You don't have the rights you had. 
And it's wonderful because then you give up responsibility for yourself. God is now responsible for you. All right. So, doesn't that sound good? This is what Paul means in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. He means, we talked last week, part of what that means is because I'm one with Christ, whatever he is, I am, whatever his history is, my history is, and therefore I'm crucified because the one I'm one with was crucified. But it also means to enjoy that, to experience the fullness of that, I've got to be crucified to myself the same way he was crucified to himself. He went through that in the garden. When he went there and three times he went back to God and pled with him, is there some other way? Can some other way to do this? And then he would submit his will. And his will would say, not my will, but your will. But in Hebrews it says he did that through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enabled him to consecrate himself and to put his own will aside at that time. So he had to have his own will or else he wouldn't say, my, your will, not my will, which means he did have a will which he had to lay down. He had to submit to his father. And so that's part of what this means. I've been crucified with Christ, which means my ego, my rights, my, anything that's centered on me, my mind, I've given that up because it's not us, it's Christ and me. It's like I have to, cannot no longer just have an identity. When I talk to people, I did this, no, it's we. And sometimes I slip because we're so used to thinking in terms of, of ourselves. I've been crucified with Christ, and here's the rest of it. Therefore, it's no longer I who live. This was Paul's identity. But it's Christ who lives in me. And what holiness is and what true consecration is, is learning for me to get out of the way of the one who lives in me. And when he lives in me, he and I are one. So whatever he is, I am. But whatever I am, he is. I know this is deep stuff but we're going to plow right on through it. I'm just as dead to myself as he was to himself on that cross. Romans 8 talks about this because Romans 4 talks about that we're, what this faith is that we're saved by. And Romans 5 talks about the, the benefits of this and the freedom that comes with it. And then Romans 6 talks out, starts talking about, by, okay, then some people are saying, well, well, if, if grace, if, if where there's sin, grace does much more abound, then I might as well just sin so grace can abound even more. Well, that, that doesn't cut it, which is basically what Romans 6 says. But that's what people did, have done very often, or have done uh, over the years with Martin Luther's teaching on salvation by faith alone, is they've turned into what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book on called Cheap Grace, which means because Christ has died for me and my sins are forgiven, I'm free. I can live any way I want. Well, you can't be in Christ and live any way you want. So to do that, you're living as if you're separate from Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh right now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And as you begin to realize that Christ, through the Holy Spirit, is literally living inside of you in your spirit, spirit to spirit, joined together, it will change how you act, it will change how you talk, and we're going to talk about tonight, it will change how you see yourself and how you see other people. Okay. Uh, John 15. 
I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch, now what he's going to use here is in order to communicate this unity that he's talking about, he's going to use something that they're very familiar with that they see every day. And I heard one teacher say, they probably just walked into the garden and he's looking at the vine. So he says, I am the vine, I'm the vine me, every branch in me, that, go back to verse 1. I am the true vine. So I get this image that he's looking at a physical vine and he's saying, but I'm the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. He's the, he's, the, uh, he's the farmer, the gardener. Okay, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. So I have one preacher saying, it really helps me, that God rewards f- fruit by pruning. So if you feel like you're being pruned right now, it's because you've been, you, you have borne fruit and he wants you to bear more fruit. It's not punishment is to get rid of the excess so that the real life in you can begin to grow and produce fruit. That it may bear more fruit. Verse 3. You are already clean. That word actually means pruned because of the word that I've spoken to you. Next verse. Here's the key. Abide in me, not with me. Abide in me. And the image, we're going to look at a drawing of this later on, but the image is the trunk of a... Vines are hard for us because our vines grew up the sides of things. The trunk of a tree and a branch. And a branch that is not vitally connected to the tree can't live and it won't produce fruit. So being being near the branch isn't enough. So just being around Christ just talking about him, just, just worshiping him, isn't enough. We have to abide in him. And the word abide means to remain, to abide, live in him. And I know this concept of being in him is hard for us because we think of in things as putting the coffee in the cup or the tea in the cup, of putting something inside of a container. But we're talking spirit to spirit here where we're joined together, where two spirits become one spirit. So that life that's in him becomes the life that's in you. And the more you trust in that, the more you let go and trust his life in you, the more his life in you can flow through you and produce fruit through you. The vine doesn't produce the fruit. The vine produces the fruit through its branches. Okay, let's go next. Next verse. I am a vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. So the fruit that we're, called to, that we're called to produce, we don't produce on our own. The way we produce it is by abiding in him and allowing him to abide in us and then it will naturally produce fruit. In fact, the more you're conscious of the fruit that's being produced in your life, the more it's likely that it's not him producing it because the branch is more conscious of being abiding in the vine and then it's not conscious of the fruit it's bearing. So the fruit you've born in your life, for him, most likely you don't even, not that much aware of the way you've affected people. And it bears much fruit for without me or apart from me, you can do nothing. It's not a gradual thing. 
It's not like the closer to me you are, the more you can do. It's all or nothing. If you're abiding in him, he will produce fruit in you. If you're not abiding him, you can't do anything. We can do things, but they're not producing fruit for his kingdom. In John chapter 7, or Matthew chapter 7, which we should, we'll get to hopefully a little later, um, Jesus, Jesus uh, says these startling words, which are very, to me, they're some of the, the words that pull me up the most. He said, why do you, you know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the thing, do not do the will of my Father? Many of you will say to me on that day, notice, many will say to me on that day, we did great things for you. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. And what was the standard? The standard, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the will of my Father? So these were people, he's saying, that are going to say, we did great things for you, but they didn't allow the Father to produce it through the fruit that's coming through their relationship with Christ. And we'll see that if we have time a little later on when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Next verse. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch, it's withered, and they throw them in the fire and they're burned. Verse 7. Look at this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire, and it will be done for you. If you abide in me. So abiding in him makes our prayers effective. Because when, we, when we're abiding in him, and we're conscious of that, what does that mean? If I'm truly abiding in him, then his desires are my desires. And his desires are already the Father's desires. So when I come to pray for somebody, to intercede for somebody, it's Christ coming to the Father to plead their case and their cause. And that's why he can trust us to say, whatever you ask, whatever you ask in my name, what, he, says that, there, he says it in my name. If, I, if you abide in me and I abide in you, it's, it's Christ asking the Father. And we know he gets whatever he asks for. We know that from John chapter 11 where he's standing at Lazarus' tomb. He said, Father, I know that whatever I ask, you're going to do for me, but I need to ask out loud so they know that you do this and not me. So, our prayers being answered, the fruit in our life comes in many ways from abiding in Him. We'll stop there. Okay, now, as we grow in the reality, and this is a process, it's a lifelong process, as we grow in the reality of this union by living in it in our daily life, it's not the same. It's not just coming to church on Sunday and Wednesday nights. It's not just opening your Bible and reading John 15 or some of these other verses. Those, those are how you get it in you. But it's as you live it out in your daily life, the Holy Spirit then takes that and fuses that together with what you've sown in your heart, and it becomes more of a reality to you. So we're going to look at some things that you run into or may run into in your regular life, and we're going to apply this to them. And the first thing we're going to look at is guilt. Anybody ever felt guilty in here since you've been a Christian? <laughs> guilt. How do you handle it when you've blown it and you feel guilty? Or 
more commonly, you didn't blow it, but you just feel guilty because we have an, an enemy who the Bible calls as the accuser of the brethren, who's telling you, you know, you're not doing it, you're not praying enough, you're not giving enough, you're not enough this, you're not enough that, you've got a bad attitude over here, you've got all this over here, and talking to you, and what's he trying to do? He's trying to get you to, this is so important. If you don't get anything out of these two sessions to get this, the thing Satan is trying to try more than anything else, this is his scheme. Whatever he's doing, what he's after is this, is to get you to begin to see yourself as if you're separate from Christ. I don't mean you're going to hell. I mean you're not in him. So that you're handling who you are, you're handling your mistakes, you're handling how you feel, you're handling your situations in life on your own. And so this is what we do. We go to handle it our own and we look to Jesus to be a resource to help us. And I hear this so much in what people say. I see this so much even in devotional things. I leave, oh, oh, be with me. Help me today. He's living in me. He's one with me. I don't need to ask him to be with me. That's total unbelief. That's seeing myself as if I am separate from Christ. Now, Romans 8 deals with this. It says, there is therefore. Therefore what? Because you're one in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation refers to an ultimate judgment that you're condemned to hell. You're condemned. You're separated. And there's no, there's no condemnation. Why? Because you're in Christ Jesus. So for there to be condemnation, he has to be condemned because your identity is you're one with him. Who he is is who you are in God's eyes. The problem is, it's not who you are in your eyes. But as you renew your mind to see who you are in God's eyes, which is reality, it begins to change how you see yourself. It changes how you pray. It changes how you deal with guilt. Do I ever feel guilty? Yeah. Now, if you've done something wrong, God doesn't want you to feel guilty. He wants you to go to Him, confess it, repent and confess it, and then it's under the blood, 1 John 1, 9. So there's a real simple way to get rid of it. There is therefore now no condemnation. Why? To those who are in Christ. Because if there is condemnation, then Christ has to be condemned too because he's now you and you're now him. We're one together. To those who walk according, to not walk according to the flesh, but they walk according to the spirit. Walking according to the flesh is seeing myself separate from him handling things on my own. Walking according to the Spirit is seeing myself in Christ joined together with Him by the Spirit. So we're talking about guilt. So I've had times when I just feel guilty about something, and I don't even know why. And I go through this mental exercise of, no, John, you are in Christ. And therefore, in Christ Jesus, that guilt's out here. It's not here where I am. That guilt was paid for, and my, my righteousness, my identity... Is that we often talk about our righteousness in Christ, but it's our, our righteousness is because we're in Him. We're not righteous apart from Him. He, he didn't just give us His righteousness. He joined us to Himself, and it's His righteousness we have because we're in Christ. And the more you face situations consciously saying, I'm facing this in Christ. 
I may have messed up over here. But, I mean, I've had situations where even as a lawyer, I messed up one case terribly. And, and I just, I felt so bad. I mean, I was going to cost a client $100,000. And I felt guilty. I just missed it because I didn't listen to the Holy Spirit telling me to slow down. I was going too fast. And I missed a deadline. So the first thing I did is I went into the senior partner, I offered to resign. He said, no, I don't want you to resign. And then I went out and started walking the streets and just praying. And I repented. I said, God, I didn't listen to you, and I've made this mistake. And the guilt, starts, the fear starts pressing in on me. But then I reminded myself that I am in Christ, and I'm not handling this on my own, and that I have his mercy. And once I had confessed and made my things right with him, God began to give me wisdom of what to do. And the wisdom that he gave me to do was totally contrary to something this judge had ever done before. And the judge reversed his decision based on the, on what, what, on, on the fact that I admitted I made a mistake. Lawyers never admit they make mistakes. But God told me, just you just be honest with him, tell him what happened, and I will take care of it. And the judge reversed the decision and saved my client $100,000. Why? But I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't handle it if I hadn't dealt with the guilt, and I dealt with the guilt because I saw myself in Christ. All right, we've got to, we've got to move along here a little bit. Okay. Well, 1 John 3, verse 20. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. So if your heart is condemning you, remember in Christ there's no condemnation. Again, I'm, I want to make clear, if you sin, you need to confess the sin. Put it back under the blood, repent of it, but there's no condemnation. So if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. All right, I want to move on to the... The next thing. That's guilt. We're talking about applying the reality that I'm one with Christ in real life situations. The second thing we're going to talk about is our weaknesses and limitations. Am I the only one that has weaknesses and limitations? And if you think you don't, you will just find you'll find out sooner than later. You run out of yourself. And even the apostle Paul did. And he gave us great insight and instructions for that. Our weaknesses are our inabilities to produce. It's our humanness. You know, Paul rebuked the church at Corinth because he said, because you're carnal, you're acting like mere men. So Paul was telling them, because you're in strife, you're envious, you're you're acting outside of Christ, so you're acting like mere men. So, but in Christ, we're not mere men. We are, one of the writers calls God-men. So, okay, let's look at some things. It's our human limitations. It's our weaknesses. We get tired. We can get discouraged. We run out. We run into situations that overwhelm us, and we don't know what to do with it. And pastors run into that all the time. Because situations, you have no idea what to do, and it can be overwhelming. And we're living in a world. I did, I did a, a film, a, a TV show for Catch the Truth today about anxiety, and the world we're in is just saturated with anxiety. I had coffee the other day with somebody that's, that travels around the country in, in other churches. And he said the most, the most prevalent thing he's seeing is how anxious Christians are. And it's like, well, no wonder. Look at what's going on in the world. But that's the problem. We're looking at what's going on in the world. 
and we're spending too much time looking at what's going on in the world instead of looking at it. You can, it's okay to look at what's going on in the world if you're already seeing yourself looking at it as if Christ is in you and you're one with Christ. But when you look at what's going on in this world right now and try to look at it as a separate individual from Christ, it is overwhelming. What are we going to do? We can't figure out what to do. Of course we can't. But in Christ, there's His strength. There's His wisdom. He's been made into us. Wisdom and justification and righteousness and redemption. Philippians 4, verse 11. I'm not going to put it up there. Paul says, I've learned the secret that in all things to be content. For, I'm all, for I'm strengthened in all things. It's Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things that I need to do because I'm in Christ. Not, not because he's a resource. Because I'm in Christ. He's right here. He's not just right here. He, he and I are, are one. I can, so I can do all things. And he talks in there of being, I've learned how to be abased, which is have nothing, and I've learned how to abound, and I'm content in all of those situations. Why? Because who I am in Christ, I don't need things to be content, and I can handle, I can handle abundance, I can handle lack, because I'm in Christ. So I can handle all things through Christ who strengthens me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 Paul's just finished talking about, uh, about the, glory, the, the glory of God, the presence of God that's in us is greater than the glory that was on Moses' face. He used the example when Moses was, went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments and he came down, the, 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 he, his skin was saturated with the presence of God, the glory of God, so the people couldn't stand and so he had to put a veil, a covering over his face so that people weren't falling down all around him. And, and gradually what happened is because the source of that, the source of that glory was not in him, it began to fade. It's like some of you may be old enough to remember we had watches with luminescent dials on them, you know, where, the, where they had a, I don't know, remember what the paint was, but it would absorb the light. It absorbed the light and that's fine, but about an hour into the darkness, it began to run out because the light wasn't coming from within the, the watch. You got it there? The light was coming, was, was, was stored up, and then it began to fade. And that's what happened with Moses. But then Paul goes on to explain, but what's in us is a different level of glory, and that glory is the presence of Christ in us. And he said it's an exceeding greater glory. And he goes on to say that the, the more you look at that glory, the more real it becomes inside of you. And then he talks about the stuff he'd gone through his persecutions and how he got discouraged and all the things that came out of him, but that he never felt. He said, I was, dis- I was discouraged, but never in despair. I was knocked down, but I was never knocked out. He talks about these things that were done to him, and he said, but they never took me out. Why? Because of this. He said, because he, um, he cried out. In this, he's talking about how he cried out to God to deliver him from his, you know, it's what people call the thorn in the flesh. Paul calls it. But Paul tells us what it is. He said, it's a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. It's not sickness or disease. He talks about its weaknesses. He talks about, well, here it is. He said, my and so he cried out three times to God to take me, to deliver me from this. And God said, my grace is sufficient, not insufficient. It's sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I want that to sink in. 
Because all of us have experienced weakness. I can't handle this anymore. I'm frustrated. I don't have enough energy. I don't know what to do. And we just get so overwhelmed. Why? Because we're looking at that situation alone. And, and we have Christ as a, re, as a resource. I can call on him. And this, I mean, the sign of this, we call on him for help. As if he's somewhere else. And we're hoping he's going to come on the scene in time. No, he's in you. He lives in you through the Holy Spirit. He's one with you. He's not going anywhere. For him to go somewhere, you've got to go with him. Because you're joined together. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore I most gladly would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Paul looked at the difficulties he was going through, and they were real, and they were hard. At one point he said, I despaired even of life. But then he says, but I've got a confidence that the God who has delivered me will deliver me. So weaknesses. We've looked at guilt. We've looked at weaknesses. Let's look at our purposes. Galatians 2.20, we've already looked at. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Um, Pastor Rick Warren wrote a best-selling book years ago called The The Purpose Driven Driven Life. And it was a bestseller, not in Christian circles, but it was bestseller in the New York Times. Why? Because people are craving for meaning. They're craving to find some kind of meaning. And because they're not finding it, they're looking to other things to give them that meaning. And that's relationships with people that they shouldn't have. Sexual relationships, they're looking for it in drugs, they're looking for it in in all kinds of things, trying to find that meaning because human beings were made to have meaning and a significance and an importance. But that meaning and significance cannot be found anywhere outside of Christ. It's only in Christ. The first couple, Adam and Eve, their only meaning was in God, in their relationship with God. And Satan tempted them to have their own meaning their own significance. And we've been tempted with that ever since. So my purpose, Jesus was the greatest example of this. He said, I only do what I see my Father do. And the key word, there's only. I would imagine a psychologist today would have a lot of fun with that. You have no ambition of your own. You have no identity of your own. No, my only ambition is to do the will of my Father. And yet Jesus is the freest man that's ever lived because he was totally submitted to his Father's will so that his Father could work his will freely through him. And the reason I believe that we're not seeing power in the church that the Bible says should be there, Paul says, he said, I didn't come to the church with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. Demonstration, that's things you can see. Power is something that you can see. Well, where is it? I did a message years, years ago, where's the beef? Remember the, the old Wendy's hamburger uh, uh, commercial where these three old ladies are ordered this hamburger? I assume it was McDonald's. And they open it up and there's this big, there's this big bun so it gives you a lot of promise that something good's going to be there. And you open it up and there's this little thing of meat and she says, where's the meat? That's what the church is like today. We have this big bun that promises all kinds of things but there's very little meat in it. There's very little power in the church. Why? Why is there so little power in the church? 
because we're all about so many other purposes other than I'm only do what I see my father do. And there's another one. I only say what I hear my father only say what I hear my father say. So as a result of that consecration, the father was able to say more things through him than he says through us, can say through us. He's able to do more things through him than he's been able to do with us. But I believe God's bringing us to a place where our will, because the word I keep hearing over and over again in, from here, from pastors in this pulpit, and other places, is submitting to the word of God. Submitting to God. Turning your life over, the control of your life over. And that's the process that's been taking me through. Well, we've got to move along. All right. Our purposes. Ephesians 3, we're not going to put it up there. 3, 3 uh, 15, 16, and 17, Paul's prayer was that you strengthen us, Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus, you strengthen us according to, according to the riches of your glory. Listen to this. With might, that word means dynamic powers, the ability of God, that you strengthen us with your power so that Christ might dwell in our hearts by faith. Not just live there, but he may be able to live his life through me and through you. So now when I get up in the morning, when I come to church, wherever I go, I'm saying, Lord, I want to be in a place where you can live your life through me today. I want to get out of the way. That's what consecration is. My agendas, my prejudices, my I don't want to do this, my I want to do this, but maybe I shouldn't, my, me, what I want, I need to get out of the way. And I can't do that in my strength. The Holy Spirit has to do that, but I have to willing, be willing to and want him to do that in me. And he's so gracious and gentle as he does it if we're willing to let him to do that. That Christ might dwell in our hearts by faith. That being rooted and grounded in love, we might come to know together with all the saints the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ that passes understanding. Oh, that we may be filled up with all of the... F- Look at this. Let this sink in. That we may be filled up with all of the fullness of God. If we're filled up with the fullness of God, people are going to know it. I don't, I'm not going to do it tonight, but I, I saw somebody do this, where, where you know you can you open one of these bottles, and it, it's 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 not you, it looks full, but it's not. It's not full until you put more into it and starts flowing out. So when we're full, it's going to flow out. That we may be all filled with the fullness of God. But see, that doesn't compute unless you see yourself in Christ. Because we inherently, and Pastor Ray talked about this a few weeks ago about prayer, we inherently know our weaknesses. We inherently know our failures. We inherently know attitudes we have. We inherently know, but God doesn't, God sees you in Christ. In fact, I think it's in Colossians, it says, you're complete in Him. He completes you. Where you're lacking, He fills in the gaps. Because you're one with him. Because you're joined with him. And Satan will work hard to let you keep reminding you of the weaknesses and the gaps and the things in him. But just answer him. Yeah, but I'm complete in Christ. On my own I'm not. But in Christ, I am complete. I would encourage you tomorrow, when you get up, look in that mirror and talk to yourself. Say, that person is in Christ and he is, or she is, I am complete in him and let that say I'm complete in him I don't have to measure up I grew up in a, in a, in a family I had to measure up all the time many of you did too and you never feel like you've measured up 
because the standard is always out there somewhere and you're never going to get there. And if you get there, you become proud of it and then the next day you've got to start over again measuring up. But in God's eyes, you are complete. There's no way you could be complete on your own, but you're complete because you're in Him. He completes what's lacking in you. So the fourth thing it affects, and this is so important, I wanted to spend a little more time on this, it affects our relationship with each other. John 15 says that our only identity is because we're in Christ. If my identity, if who I am is in Christ, and your identity is because of who you are in Christ, then our only relationship together is through Christ. And I'm going to show you an image of this to get, hopefully get this across tonight. Well, let's do it now. Do you have that image you put up? This is my masterful drawing. <laughs> all right? First of all, this is, this is obviously a tree because vines don't, we don't understand what vines are today. And I have a tree, we have a tree in our front yard, and I, I look at it sometimes when I'm thinking about this. So we're, I'm a branch. I'm that right-hand branch. It says me. All right, and you or whoever else it may be is another branch. Notice that the only relationship the branches have with each other is they're connected to the same trunk. It takes a while for that to sink in. Oh, also notice they, the only identity they have is the tree that they're attached to. So we have a, we have a, 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 a maple tree out front. And I don't look at this, the branches, and give the branches a different name. Well, that's George, and that's Harry, or that's a maple, that's a maple branch, and that's a... No, it's a maple tree. And those are maple branches because they're a part of a maple tree. You and I are Christians because we're part of Christ. Amen. And the relationship that we have together is only through Him. When I first saw that, my first reaction is, well, that restricts our relationship. And then I began to realize, no, it enhances our relationship. And you've experienced that. You must have experienced at some point. I remember when I was first saved, meeting a Christian for the first time, and I immediately felt closer to them than I did to family members I'd known my whole life. You felt that? Why? Why? Is that and, and, the, and one of the ones was a secretary in the law office I was in. It was a large law firm, and I was in the status up here, and she's down there. Stat, but we felt there was a connection there. There was something we had in common, and as we began to meet with Christians, I'd never met before, but I immediately began to feel a common bond. What is it? It's what Ephesians 4 talks about, the unity of the Spirit. But the unity of the Spirit is that we're connected to the same Spirit. So the same spirit that dwells in me dwells in you. The same Christ that dwells in me dwells in you because we're part of the same Christ. He, this is the unity that the Bible talks about and this is what's lacking is because we see ourselves as a bunch of individuals and this is even more true in the Western culture than it is in the Eastern culture where their personal identity is not as strong as it is in Western culture and especially in the United States. So I don't have a direct relationship with you my relationship with you is in Christ, and that's an even closer relationship with each other. So if we begin to see each other this way, then we begin to treat each other differently. And as I've begun to apply, I'm now applying the fact 
that I'm in Christ and he's in me, that that's my identity, then, then I have to recognize that that same Christ is in you. And you may not do things the way I want. I'm not you, obviously, not you, Gary. But there's some people in my life, none of you, <laughs> none that go to this church, but there's some people that in my own personal opinion, I have issues with. But I have to now filter that thinking through that. Paul says it in, in, in Romans 14. He says, well, who are you to judge another man's servant? He basically says, and if he wants to, he can make them stand. So when we're judging one another, and there's a proper judgment, but it's not judging the person. When we start judging, in fact, Rome, in, in James, I think it's 4, he says, if you're judging someone else, then you put yourself in the position of the lawgiver. That's God. And elsewhere, Jesus says, and then you set the standard by which he's going to judge you. Let those sink in. The standard by which I judge others is the standard by which he's going to use to judge me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, we looked at this a few weeks ago, Paul says, Therefore, from now on, we, re- we regard no one according to the flesh, according to the outward appearance. Yet now we, as, according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. So Paul's saying here, just as there was a change in the way they related to Christ, they saw him per- person to person, they could see him with their eyes, and that was their relationship. Now their relationship with him and our relationship is different. It's a spirit-to-spirit relationship. And the next verse goes on to say, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. So we're to see each other as new creations in Christ Jesus. So we're to see each other as other branches of the vine. And this is where you begin to apply this principle that we're one with Christ and he's one with us. Otherwise, it becomes this nice doctrine that we think about in church, we read about, we read books about, and it's wonderful. But when you begin to apply it in your life, when you begin to make yourself look at other people, especially people you may not normally want to associate with, especially people you may not naturally like, because our human nature is we gravitate towards people that are like us, that either look like us, think like us, or talk like us, because it reinforces who we are. What we don't naturally do is do that with people that don't think like us, don't look like us, and don't talk like us, because that makes us uncomfortable, because it forces us to, it forces us to change. And our human nature does not like change. And yet that's the way we grow. There are churches now that are being built on on people being the same age or the same color or the same anything outward. And I prayed about this years ago. I said, God, should should we have that attitude here, whether it's a church that's just older people or younger people? And the Lord's answer to me was, what about your own body? Do you know you have cells in your body right now that, you've, that have been there for seven years and you have cells right now that are only moments old and yet they get along because it's one body. And, and what, what's going on is, when, and this is again, we can't, trust our, we can't trust our own flesh because we gravitate towards what makes us comfortable. 
But what makes us comfortable doesn't make us grow. It makes us become content for the wrong reasons. So God's brought to bring together, that's his idea of marriage. <laughs> he takes two individuals who don't, I remember the conversation I had with him. God, you didn't make, she doesn't think the way I think. And God said to me, I didn't make her to think the way you think. And you've heard me say this before. And I literally said, why not? And then I realized who I was talking to. I was saying, you got it. And then I realized, wait a minute, you know something here I need to see. And I began to realize her differences confront me and challenge me. This is why it was God that said it wasn't good for man to be alone. Adam didn't complain he was lonely. He was happy, I believe, because he made his own decisions. He didn't have to relate to anybody. So God brings us together, forcing us to learn what that unity is. Forcing us, and what does it do? It requires us to deny ourselves and be willing to, to close the window and turn the air conditioner on at night when you want to sleep with the window open. <laughs> and do things that she wants to do that I don't like to do. Even maybe watch programs that she likes that I don't watch. Sometimes. Um, and, and, and it forces us to, and that's healthy, that's good for us. So now what about our relationship with the world, the people that aren't in the body of Christ, that aren't in that, in that vine? Seeing ourselves as one with him changes how you see them. Because I, no, I no longer have the right to see them based on my own judgment. I don't like those people. Oh, do I have to? Okay. God several times has gotten a hold of me and told me that I'm a snob. S-N-O-B. <laughs> he said, you have an image of yourself as you, in certain things he went through, I'm not going to go through. And you think because of that. And this was not in my conscious thinking. If you had asked me this, no, I would never do that. But there were attitudes that were rooted down deep in my heart that in certain situations began to show up. And when those showed up, I realized what they were, and they shocked me that those things were in there. And that's what God wants to root out. So that when I see somebody, I see them with his heart, not with my heart. So my prayer life now, my time with him is, is Lord, create in me a clean heart. What does that mean? So that there's nothing in my heart that doesn't line up with what's in your heart towards these people that aren't in Christ towards anybody, that I literally have your heart towards them. And I, I am a work in progress. <laughs> and God's gracious and God's kind. So let's kind of recap here. We're talking about, I know I've given you an awful lot to think about, um, and I just have to trust that the Holy Spirit's going to take some things you see. But, but, but and last week was kind of hard because there's all in this theology, theology and things like that. But how, where we live, what we've talked about tonight, Dealing, dealing with guilt. Don't allow yourself to sit in guilt. Don't allow that guilt to control your mind because it will seep into your heart and it will poison your heart and rob you of your confidence. So when you know that you're in Christ and he's one with you and you're in him, that guilt is swallowed up in him. It's like taking, it's like taking a, 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 an ink. A, 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 I used to have a fountain pen and it had indelible black ink. So it would be like taking an, uh, taking an eyedropper and taking a drop of that ink and going over to a pure, pure, pure crystalline pool and dropping it in that pool. What happens to it? It gets absorbed. 
because the purity of that pool is greater than the darkness of the ink and your guilt gets swallowed up in his righteousness because that's who you are. That's not just something you have. That's who you are because you're one with him. It's his righteousness you have because you're one, you're one with him. So deal with guilt and deal with the guilt by saying, I'm in Christ and in Christ there is no guilt. If you've committed something wrong, deal with it, repent of it, confess it and get it out and then get out back in with him. Our weaknesses, and we all have them, and Satan will pile on you by those weaknesses and tell you, first of all, he'll tell you, well, you can't do anything great for God because this is who you are. Yeah, but you're, you're, you and Christ are one. So you can do whatever he has, wants to do through you because it's Christ in you that's doing that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Third thing we looked at is having a purpose. And you don't have the right to have your own purpose. God has a purpose for you, but you'll find that purpose as you learn to dwell and, 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 and dwell in your union with him and allow him to work his purpose through you. In many cases, he'll work it through you and you won't even realize he's doing it because it just comes natural to you. Because I've, I've met a number of, of writers of long ago and they'll talk about, you know, when you're really, when you're saying, well, what is the will of God? You are the will of God. My 19-year-old grandson told me that the other day. He says, you are the will of God. When you're one with him, you are his will. You'll know what to do. And lastly, we looked at our relationships with one another. We're both, we're, we're our relationships with one another. So learn to see each other. See, see that I'm, you know, whoever you are, whatever you're like. You're my brother. You're my sister. Why? Because we're part of the same body. We're one in Christ. And he is in you. So that means there's good in every one of us. It's he's the good that's in us. And then finally, how do we see those that are in the world that are not in the body of Christ yet? We see them through his heart, through his eyes. We see the issues of the world through, and that overwhelms me. Oh God, the things that are going on in the world, these disasters, I can't handle the emotion of that. No, but he in me can. And then begin to give me wisdom and direction. So let's pray. Father, I know we've heard a lot last week and then again today. And I know what the statistics say about how much we tend to retain. But what we have is your spirit living in us. Jesus, you told your disciples you were sending the Holy Spirit so that he would bring back to them in remembrance the things that you said to them. So we're trusting tonight that the seed that's been sown into our hearts that the Holy Spirit who dwells in us will bring back into our recollection the things that we've heard when we face these situations in our life. Guilt, purpose, weakness, relationships with each other, whatever it may be, to make clear to us, make real to us as you dig this down deep into our hearts that he is the vine and each of us are a branch so that as we relax and abide in that union with him, that you will bear that fruit through us, through prayer, through words that are spoken, and through things that are done through us, miracles and other great things that you do through us. And for this grace, we thank you in Jesus' name.